Hawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstad, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey guys, welcome to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstad. I'm here with Keith Myers. Hello, Keith. Hello, Bill. It's been a, a very, very busy weekend with the draft and and everything. And um, have you slept much since then? Because I haven't. Well, I got a new puppy. So you haven't slept my, at all. <laughs> and my wife's traveling. So I've been the point man for the puppy the last couple of days. And, and as new puppies go, they go a lot. And they go... Yes, they do. They go at night at all times. So actually, it's good because last night he was able to sleep almost all through the night except for a one o'clock like pee break. And uh, I'll take that for like a puppy that we've only had in the house for like five days. See, it, it kind of sounds like you are um, talking about a newborn because I've, yes, you know, exactly. I've, got, I've got very small kids. And so you're talking about, oh, I, I, we kind of slept last night. And I'm like, huh, that's flashbacks that i didn't need but yeah. yeah so the draft it was it was a good weekend for me i enjoyed the draft it's something that you build up to for a long time and then it comes and it, and it goes and it's over and uh seahawks got a good haul of players and that's what we're here to talk about today uh primarily the draft new players that's a a big draft class for anyone we only went in for se- with seven picks yeah and they also didn't make any trades after their once they made a fir- their their first pick, they didn't trade at all after that. Well, let's let's Which talk about let's talk about before the the first pick. What happened? Well, so they were sitting there at twenty six, and uh, they got a chance to move back uh, to thirty one with Atlanta and get a third round pick. Then they moved back um, with San Francisco and got a fourth round pick. Uh, and then they moved back one more spot. Um, and they got a sixth round pick, so they got three extra. And they picked picks. up a seventh. They picked up a seventh rounder oh, they, too. From you're right. Atlanta. They also picked up a seventh rounder in there. Um, so they moved back three times to go from 26 to uh, 35. So um, nine overall spots. Yep, nine overall spots, and they got four extra players by doing so. And you know, especially that third round and the fourth round, where they are, you know, and still got their guy. Yeah. And, and and they those are some really valuable picks. I mean, people talk about oh, sixth round, seventh round. You know, they're not that the hit rate's pretty low on those. But that third and fourth and early fourth round pick, those are those are very good, um, very good draft uh, slots that they were able to get. And uh, they got the guy that they were looking. I mean, we had speculated a little bit about an offensive lineman or Kevin King or some of those, but uh, there were national guys that were in the war room that said going in like they knew before the draft started going in that that mcdowell was the guy the seahawks had targeted and that was the guy that they got at 35 and so they have to feel the the team has to feel just excited about the fact they were able to get the guy they wanted and four extra draft picks for him Absolutely. And, you know, we did talk about Malik McDowell uh, on last week's podcast leading up to the draft as far as ideal players that would fit Seattle um, going into the draft. And so we talked about maybe him being there, uh, what we would do if he was there at 26 and could we move back a little bit and so forth. Of course, we didn't know that they were going to move back 
two, three times there mm-hmm. right at, the, right at, the, uh, at our pick. Um, to me, that's extremely smart by our front office. I mean, anytime you've got value like that, still getting the guy you want, picking up all those extra uh, picks, and we'll go through uh, some of the picks that, that we did get um, out of the draft that, uh, that we wouldn't have gotten had we not picked up all those extra guys. So uh, pretty amazing to me. And But first, before we get into kind of all that, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, – the reaction to the draft, um, you know, national pundits, of course, they're going to grade the draft. So they give graph, uh, draft grades to all this uh, stuff. And, and you see anything from a C minus to a B plus um, type of grades out there. Um, but I don't really want to talk about grades. I just kind of want to talk about an overall perception of what you think you saw out there and how people are feeling and how they should feel. Well, people, I don't want to say, I, I, I never like to tell people how to feel. Uh, so I'm not going to True. say that. But, but what I will say is that there is a lot of negativity out there about Seattle's draft class, especially on Twitter. Um, it's led by a few people, you know, a few individuals that just really hated Seattle's draft because my interpretation is that they had, they really thought they knew what Seattle was going to do, that they were going to go get, um, Kevin King or Ryan Ramchek or, you know, one of those guys when the CX didn't, you know, there's this, just this general overreaction of, oh, they screwed it up. Right. They, when they moved back, they moved back too far. Or, you know, the lesson is never move back twice because you'll lose, you're, you'll miss your guy. And, but they're making the assumptions that the Seahawks wanted the players that they assumed were, they were being targeted and they didn't. The CX wanted Malik McDowell and, they got that guy. So I I just think there's this overwhelming negativity because we didn't get one of the Husky uh, defensive backs and we didn't get, um, you know, some of these guys that we assumed they were targeting, but it turned out they weren't the guys that, that the Seahawks really wanted. Right. And, you know, you and that... Ev- and- I was going to say, if you just evaluate the players individually, so you have 11 guys, let's look at, at them judge them individually, how they fit with the team, their overall talent level. I thought they did really well. They, they hit what they needed to. Absolutely. And, and just for you know, a brief second, going back to the kind of attitude on Twitter, I guess is where you kind of see it the most because it's instant reaction. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I came to a spot where I had, and I don't like to, um, to unfollow anybody because I, I, I fundamentally believe everyone's has their opinion and so forth. But there was this one particular person where I had to unfollow um, after a couple of days of just nonstop negativity and dragging everything down. And it was just, um, it's unfortunate. But beyond beyond that, um, I think the expectations were set before the draft. And and of course, you got to take a little bit of blame for it because you can only do so much before the draft to research players. And so you're going to research the top two or three players at each position. You're going to go over those things. So I think expectations were set with a lot of people that don't follow the draft too closely, but just close enough to where they, they feel like they know what the Seahawks are going to do. And when they, when that plan falls through, you know, the, the level of disappointment out there is palatable. However, as Keith said, if you really take a closer look at the draft and the kind of players that Seattle did get, um, they're exactly the kind of players that Keith and I highlighted 
uh, in last week's podcast, they're just not the same players. And so, um, you know, I think that the doom and gloom will pass uh, as it always does. Every year there's doom and gloom because, you know, each year players come off the board before you have a chance to pick and, um, and, and you really never know what these picks are going to turn out to, uh, to be until uh, one, two, three years down the road in some cases. So, but um, I, I liked the first two moves in the draft. And we've br- briefly talked about Malik McDowell at uh, second round 35 overall. Let's talk about the, the second round pick uh, at 58. And who did we get and why should uh, Seahawks fans be happy about this guy? Well, we got um, Ethan uh, Posick is how it's pronounced. Um, and he is from LSU. He's a center, uh, tall, long, everything you want from an offensive lineman, big guy. Um, why complete... did we not have any? Why didn't we talk about him? Why didn't we talk about him? Because he's a center. And the Seahawks have Justin Britt, who was the best offensive lineman uh, on the team last year at center. And they also drafted um, Hunt, who uh, was the backup last year, played a little bit, and looked decent. Um, And so it it felt like the one position on the offensive line where they were set was center. And so... So he was off the radar a little bit, but we we really didn't understand how versatile he is. Maybe we can talk about that. And that that really was one of the things that comes down to if... If we had had more time and could study the the draft in a lot more detail, maybe he would have been on our radar a little bit more because because Posick's not just a center. Um, he profiles very similarly to Justin Britt um, in terms of versatility. He's got the length and uh, some of the measurables to play tackle. Maybe not. I was surprised how closely he kind of profiled to Taylor Moten, who we did talk about. Yeah. Um, only, only Ethan Prosick, to me, when I looked at him, uh, not only on film, but just kind of studied him and character and so forth. He's got a little mean streak. He finishes off blocks really well. He's very uh, intelligent. Um, all the things that you're looking for in a, in a guy. And mm-hmm. um, I, to me, he, he fits a, kind of a Seahawk profile to a yeah, T. Yeah, he really does. And it when they drafted him and I, and my first response was I'm like, Oh, and then I started thinking and I'm like, why I should, I should have noticed that him more because I, I, you know, he's an offensive lineman. So therefore I had studied his tape and I had a profile for him, but because he, because of the C next to his name, it just didn't click that he would be someone the Seahawks were looking at. It was just someone that I had done my, you know, study on and, you know, filed right. it away. But I, he was never someone that I looked at. And then as soon as they picked him, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? I missed that because I should have recognized. Because if you look at, he pulls a lot. He's a center. And they get him out. Um, LSU would get him out in front a lot. He blocks very well in space. He God, he has, turns people around. And, you know, he, yeah, he's he, he's great. He's a guy that fits zone blocking really well. And you can play him in the running game. You can play him at any spot. In the passing, as a pass blocker, I think he looks better on the inside, either at guard or at center. Uh, but... 
you know, the Seahawks have played all sorts of non-ideal tackles. And, you know. Well, the cool so thing about about this pick for me is, A, we didn't reach. We didn't reach for a guy that was sitting there at 26 or 31 or 34, 35. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of guys were. Uh, a guy in particular that we shall not name that you just did not want on the team at all. Absolutely. So we passed, passed some of those guys over. We did get McDowell. And we should talk about McDowell a little bit after we get done with Posick because mm-hmm. I, I think it's totally worth it to talk about him a little bit. But uh, Posick is a guy I think Seattle fans will fall in love with, a guy that will come in immediately and um, compete for a starting spot, not just a guy that's going to fill in, but he's going to push th- that line um, to a point where I think they may end up having to find a spot for him. You know, the Seattle Seahawks have always said, we're going to put the best five guys on there. We'll figure it out. And that's what they're kind of still saying now. They've got this uh, infusion of talent and free agency and now the draft. Um, and, uh, I, th- you know, you take a look at Seattle's 2016 run game where we are, I think we were ranked like 25th in the NFL overall. And they just threw everything they could at it this year. And you've really got to commend them for it. I mean, they, they got Eddie Lacy in, which I think Seattle fans are just going to absolutely fall in love with that guy. Uh, and Rawls is not going to want to lose his spot, so he's going to compete hard. They've got a couple other guys that are fighting for, for the running back's uh, handoff time. And then you've got all this offensive line talent. And when you really look at it and you break it down, we've got probably seven or eight guys in there that could start um, that are really going to make it difficult for the Seahawks to come out of camp and not cut guys. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... It... We'll see because they have for the running game. I agree. They've got guys that can come in, play, block. Where my concern is with the offensive line is still with pass blocking, especially on the outside. Because I think with the addition of um, with Posick and uh, you know they signed Abushi in the off season. I think what you're looking at at this point is that Jermaine Effetti is a right tackle. Let's. Well, is Jermaine Effetti going to be a better? pass blocker than Gilliam. No, because he won't be able to handle the speed rusher on the outside. And Gilliam wasn't really great. No. Yeah, he really wasn't. Um, uh, but uh, he's not going to be a better pass blocker. Uh, so tell and, me why I shouldn't be concerned about that. I mean, that uh, sounds like something I should be concerned about. And that's the reason what's what I was saying. I think the team's going to be good and the, the running game's going to be better. Um, you move a Fetty out to right... Um, out to right tackle and the running game on that side is going to be better. But I think the pass blocking is still going to be suspect on the outside. Just both tackle positions. I'm just not real excited about uh, against um, real athletic uh, defensive end teams. Yep. Cause I, I just don't, I mean, I don't see Luke Jokel or Jermaine Effetti as an elite pass blocker. Is, They're just not. Is there any way that Posick moves outside and Effetti still stays at guard? I don't think so. Uh, I just, the team, I, I could be wrong. Well, let's on talk this, about. Let's talk about. Let's get. Like let's get more into there. depth. Yeah, let's get more into depth in the offensive line a little bit okay. later in the show. Um, let's talk about Malik McDowell just real quick, because okay. this is a guy that you know people are poo pooing, and I, you know a couple of pundits out there have said you know he's got problems, uh, yada yada yada. Okay, let's focus on the positive today on on this guy. A, he's 20 years old. He turns 21 in a month or, or whatever, right? He's a very mm-hmm. young guy. So um, as far as character concerns go, um, you know, he's a young guy. 
Um, mm-hmm. Second of all, I thought uh, his defensive line coach at Michigan State wasn't that great. Um, so I think the coaching there can definitely help improve him as far as technique and all that kind of stuff is concerned. Uh, the Seahawks are a high character team surrounded by guys that uh, really want to perform to their best of, of their abilities. And they're not going to allow McDowell to be a, a distraction and to be uh, maligned and, and not work hard. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So I think that given that, I think it's a it's a great pick. I mean, it does exactly what Seattle needs to have happen up the middle to disrupt the the pocket um, and and help our secondary out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy. He's a little undersized because he's he's two ninety five. And watching his tape, I rewatched it all um, last night, and he, I would be willing to bet he's two ninety five. You know, soaking wet. Um, he's more like 290, uh, 288, somewhere in that range. He's not your typical defensive tackle in terms of size because he's, he's a little undersized. But holy cow, is he quick and powerful. He, just watching his Boy, tape, he, ni- he can just knife through stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, he, they, and they lined him up everywhere. I mean, he would, he'd line up over, over the center in, you know, the one, the one tech nose tackle. Um, he's, a, you know, a three tech. They push him outside to the Michael Bennett five tech spot. Um, he lined up a few times, even f- like further out in, out in the seven where Cliff Averill would, would line up. They lined him up anywhere on the line and let him get after the quarterback. And he dominated. I mean, he really did. How would, how would he we he be used differently than Michael Bennett or Frank Clark? Um, you're going to see him more on the inside. He's going to be a uh, a three tech and then move over to the nose tackle. I don't see them ever moving him outside to defensive end, except for maybe in a very short yardage goal line situation um, where they'll have two run stuffers like Jaron Reed and Ataya Rubin in at the one and three, and then they run um, with. You know, Clark Bennett and McDowell in there as kind uh, of yeah, a, yeah. A, a big heavy. So then you, you'd have that heavy Call it line a NASCAR of five, package of five um, five defensive uh, linemen. But yeah, so if you look at that now, imagine this with as your NASCAR package. You've got uh, Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Frank Clark, Malik McDowell on third and eight with with Bobby Wagner blitzing. Oh yeah, or. <laughs> Yeah, even without it. I mean, can you imagine yeah. those four guys not oh, getting pressure? I mean, that's just – that is a pass rush, just straight up. Like, I'm excited, excited that's to see totally that get everybody excited. I mean, yeah. I, I just can't imagine that guys wouldn't be excited about this. And I think it will happen. You know, not being able to see a guy after you pick him and you just kind of, well, you listen to everyone else. And um, But once this guy gets on the field, I'm telling you. It's it's going to be huge for the Seahawks. Yeah, and and one of the things that I got when I when I was watching his tape is he was so quick and so like he would get through that gap so quickly. So you watch like the Wisconsin yes. game, which was one of you know uh, yep. which was uh, that's against some really good uh, talent, a very good offensive line, and they double teamed him. Yes. On like seventy percent of the snaps that he was in there, yeah, uh, running yep. game, passing, it didn't matter. They put a second body on him, and he still made an impact in that game. And yes. to me, I was just like, I was amazed. I mean, it. This was what you saw from guys like Warren Sapp, um, 
you know, he in can the NFL. split double. He can split double teams like I've never seen. I mean, mm-hmm. I really watched that tape that you just mentioned, and he just literally made himself as skinny as a toothpick for like, a, and it only took an eighth of a second, and he split that double team, and he was in the backfield. You know, and either bringing running backs down for a loss or chasing the quarterback. He doesn't necessarily had have to make sacks to have a big impact. Oh, yeah, because what he did is he came up the middle. The quarterback had to move to make him miss, and then the defensive end would finish uh, yep. finish them off. And so you have... You're just looking of, for a guy to, to disrupt timing, yeah, especially the, in his rookie year. The the number of plays in which he made an impact was far greater than anything that showed up on a stat sheet. Yes. Yeah. So, I know. Awesome. What, what amazed me when I was watching this tape is if you watch his game against Indiana, which is a run, a run first team or a, you know, a team that just pounded it in the ground. And so here you've got this undersized defensive tackle and you're thinking, okay, this is the game where he's going to get pushed around a little bit and you're going to show that he's undersized and can't do it. And he did to the running game of Indiana what he did to the passing game of other teams because he would get into the backfield so quickly that the, the running back couldn't get going. Uh, he would, they would have to make that cut and, and bounce around, and it just screwed everything up, all the timing. Right. The, the holes were never, weren't there when they were supposed to be there because uh, McDowell was into the backfield so quickly. So and ultimately, it, Keith... Why does why did Seattle come out of the draft with Malik McDowell at thirty five and allow a guy like that, that everybody wanted and Kevin King to be drafted a position uh, before that or, or didn't come out of the draft with one of those marquee linemen that everybody wanted? Well, the problem is is there weren't there weren't any marquee linemen. Uh, I mean, we... value wise though. Yeah. This is the this is the guy. I mean, at yeah. the at the top. And why was he, why was he like say before Kevin King? Yeah, on well, their part of on it is their scheme. When you look at uh, when you look at at this, this is a Malik McDowell is a guy with top ten, fifteen talent. I mean, he should have been very early in the first round. He fell to thirty five because of uh, concerns about work ethic and. And that kind of stuff. If there hadn't been those concerns about work ethic, he would have been right up there at the very top of the of the draft. So this was a but good, Seattle did meet with him specifically, yes. to address those concerns. And there was that um, there was that comment uh, when he called him, when when John Snyder called him. He was like, "Yeah, remember what we talked about?" Um, and obviously, they had they had talked and discussed about the work ethic issue. And, you know, what it meant to be a pro and what it meant to be a Seahawk. And McDowell was on board with those things when they had talked. And so if he is, if he can get on board and he just can buy into the team and the situation and what's re- what's expected of him, we're talking about a really, really good player. Um, I understand why other teams were, you know, not wanting to go that way because of the last thing you want is a guy without without a work ethic because they, they don't last. Um, but. If he buys in, man, you got just got a really good player, and you got him, you know, twenty picks later, twenty five picks later than you than he should have gotten talent wise. So today, to save some time, we're not going to go through all the players in the draft, and everybody kind of knows who those guys are. Um, go print a list, <laughs> you know, if you don't know who they are, and do some research on them. But what are the what are two guys in the draft that are not the top two picks that you? 
uh, or kind of fallen in love with? Uh, the the first one I want to talk about is uh, Shaq Griffin, the uh, the cornerback, because we knew we knew the team. So we picked him up round three yep. ninety overall. Uh, we knew the team had to get a cornerback, and we knew that um, they had to get a guy that was going to be able to play right away just because of the depth issues the team has uh, there. And that was kind of the the reason why we thought about Kevin King. Just, you know, get him at, you know, uh, 26 or 31. Just go get the, the guy you want right. and um, plug him in over there, the opposite Richard Sherman, and just be done with it. Uh, the CX chose not to do that. They didn't even pick up a cornerback in the second round. A lot of people were freaking out. Um, I was a little worried when they went out. You know, you watch a guy like, like a Witherspoon fall, and I'm like, oh, right, go up right, and get him, sure. go get him. And they they didn't. Instead, they just waited. They were patient, and they got um, Shaquille Griffin, who's a little – I mean, he's he's a little shorter, but he's got long arms, so he's got some of that. He profiles he, – like he can play the slot. Um, not just outside, but he can also play the slot. So therefore, he can push Jeremy Lane. Uh, maybe make and him he's better still a good speed guy, a like a four-four-five type forty. Yeah, um, I thought he was faster than that, like a four-three-eight. Is that wrong, or did I? Maybe I remember oh, that wrong? you're right. I didn't write it. I didn't write it down, so I'm going off memory. Sorry. Um, so he's 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 got a lot of speed, and you know, you look at his spark or his athletic profile. He's one point eight sigma, which is really good. Um, means he's um, well, well, well above average uh, as an athlete, speed, everything. And so what the Seahawks did is they 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 let the uh, shape of this particular draft class work for them. They were able to go get their defensive linemen and their offensive linemen and wait until pick 90 and still get a super athletic, fast, long cornerback and not have to pick him early in the draft. They were able to wait and still get a guy that that fits everything they want as a defensive Yes, back. and that's and that's the key, Keith, that, that people need to remember. They still got a guy that fits their athletic profile that they were looking for in the first place. So they may not have gotten Kevin King, but they got Shaq Griffin. You know, mm-hmm. and, and guys need to look at, at Shaq Griffin on the field. They just can't listen to everyone and say, oh, I don't like that pick, blah, 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 blah. Go look at some tape, you know, figure out what this guy's all about and, and wait until training camp and watch him, you know, try to take over that number two corner spot. And I'm telling you, he's got a good shot on at doing that. Um, mm-hmm. If not, he's going to, you know, they'll start him out in the nickel. Um, yeah. But I he's going to be on the field. Yep. I think what you're looking at um... – you're looking at a really good, fun cornerback competition in training camp this year. I mean, Sherman's going to be there. He's the starter. You, you just plug him in. But who's the number two guy? There's you know three or four guys that could that could win that spot. Who's the number? Well, right now, you're the, looking at Nico Thorpe and DeAndre Elliott and the Pierre Desir. Um, you still got you got Parrish Cox that came in. So yeah, but I don't really. I don't, he's got a great chance. I mean that that. Yep. Go ahead. I would say I don't I don't count Parrish Cox because this because his film from the last year and a half is not great and he's getting older. But the other guys and then you have also have Jeremy Lane and Shaq Griffin that that's in that mix. Both of those guys could come out as the number two guy, and both of those guys could come out as the as the the nickel that plays a lot. Yep. So there's just a, there's yep. a lot to like in that group, and that's even before Deshaun Shedd comes back from his his uh, injury. So. That's that's right. That's that's exactly right. Plus, we got Bradley McDougald back there at safety. So mm-hmm. our defensive back class really 
uh, is notched up quite a bit this year compared to last year. We still got our, our main starters back coming back at some point with Shed. And then we infused it with all this talent. I really liked the, the, the class that we've got coming in. Well, yeah. And then they added a bunch of talent at safety behind, um, you know, Cam and Earl and them. And, and that, yeah. that's a really good uh, group. Um, I like uh, Mike Tyson, who they uh, drafted, which, yeah. Yeah, no, not that Mike Tyson. Uh, the number of joke, <laughs> the number of jokes and puns uh, about yeah, him. Yeah, let's get those neighbor, out of the way. They're they're they are a writer's dream. Um, but this, I like you know, uh, Delano Hill yes. a lot. I spent a little bit of time before the podcast watching some tape, and everyone's going to fall in love with this guy. I mean, big, physical, imposing uh, safety, um, and so he projects at strong safety. So. Definitely looking at a backup for Cam Chancellor. I mean, the last uh, couple of years, all of us have kind of, I think, wished for better depth at safety position on the, uh, on the, our defense and could point specifically to that as far as a little bit of a drop-off uh, and how we hit guys, um, especially when Thomas was injured, Chancellor was injured, we had guys come in, and you could kind of see a drop-off. Uh, with, with these picks that we added, I think uh, everyone's got a, a reason to be excited. Go go read a scouting report for Hill, and then go read a scouting report for Cam Chancellor pre-draft, and they line up. You could you could use the um, you could use the description of one for the other player, and no one would notice. Like if you yeah. if you if you said if you took hey here's Hill and you cut and paste a scouting report for Cam Chancellor in there, no one yeah. would notice that you weren't talking about Hill. You remember uh, you remember Kenny Hamlin, right? Yeah, he reminds me of Kenny Hamlin when I looked at him. Yep, Kenny just Hamlin kind of a was, big guy that just loved to hit. Mm-hmm. He was a if Hamlin had been a strong safety and not a free safety where he could just get up and hit and make plays and do those things and not be expected to cover, uh, in the back. He would have been, he would have been a better player. Um, and one of the things that's nice here, you're right. His tape is, is very, uh, Kenny Hamlin esque, but he does it as a strong safety. He gets up, he's really physical. He likes to lay people out, um, makes, you know, just really good in the run game. Phil's Phil's, um, gaps well yes. he's, he's gonna yes. be he, but he's a guy that that needs training he needs seasoning uh i liked this pick it very much if you go back um to the cam chancellor pick when the seahawks took chancellor they didn't toss him in there and had him play i mean they did but he, they did it as the the big nickel and but they had lawyer yep. malloy that year and malloy was a starter and he got all the playing time and and uh, Cam played special teams and got a few plays here and there, and really got a chance to learn behind yes. one of the best. And you know, Cam's going into the last year of his contract, and he has not been resigned yet. And so now you're going to get a situation where Hill's going to get a chance to kind of have that same role with you know Cam now in the lawyer Malloy Roy. And can you develop Hill into being you know the next Cam Chancellor in this defense? And we're going to see that this year. Will he? I think Maybe. the, the key. Not? Maybe not. I think the key to Hill going forward, especially if they re-up Cam, which I hope they do, and and Keith is not saying you know Cam's going to be gone. It's just that you have to hedge in the NFL. It's a business. Um, Hill's that hedge, but if Cam stays, 
does Hill have enough flexibility to play two or three spots in the in the in the backfield, Keith? I don't think he does because coverage is his weak spot. He's a guy who gets up, plays the run well, hits well, uh, but he's not great in coverage. So I w- you're not going to see him. I mean, you might see him as in a big nickel where he's playing a zone um, uh, in the bandit, but also you know watching in, and playing against the run. So basically, he's like a a, a zone linebacker in that situation. Um, but what so start out see, on special teams and then develop. You're going to see him as a special teams player and as as a backup. And if he develops, then the Seahawks have some flexibility to either move him, trade him, or or move on from Cam. Uh, if they do re-up Cam Chancellor, he's at that age and he's missed some games. They they need a good backup for him. And I think you've got a guy that can come in and play when he's needed. So. Um, you know, one you, more player you can never that have I, too go many ahead. good. You can never have too many good players. You really can't. If he's good enough to play, but they also have Cam. Oh darn! That means you've got a lot of good players, and there's nothing exactly. wrong with that whatsoever. Well, and guys like that are are, are very special special teams players. You've mm-hmm. got a guy that can start on quite a few different teams in the NFL playing special teams, and and that big physical guy that's got great speed on special teams is, is a nightmare for other teams to, to plan for. So one other guy that I had that, that was out of the, the top two picks that I just fell in love with, probably one of my favorite players in the draft is Amara uh, Darbo, mm-hmm. wide receiver out of Michigan, uh, taken uh, in the third round, 106 overall. Um, I watched some tape of him. I like this guy. I really like uh, Darbo, and the reason that I think he's even more valuable than where he was picked um, is because they didn't have a very good quarterback at Michigan. They were a run-first team, um, but but here's a guy that's 6'2", 210, 212 pounds, um, got great speed. Um, I'm, I really like this. I think he's a total undervalued guy and will, will come in and definitely – probably be the the number four, number five receiver this year heading out of camp. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, to me, he is everything the team wanted Kenny Lawler to be, um, you know, a year ago. But what he he doesn't have that super thin, I'm going to get hurt really quickly frame like, like Lawler did. He's, he's also got yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit better speed and quickness, but he's got that height. He catches the ball really well away from his body with his hands. He doesn't wait for it to come into his chest. He's not a runs body really catcher. good routes. Yeah, he runs he runs good routes. He's not he's not he doesn't have that short area like just crazy burst that you see with uh guys like Doug Baldwin. Yeah. Um you know I so, just think if he was on a better offense, Keith he would, oh, have, he would have he would have gone in the uh, the top end of the second round. Yeah, probably. If he was on a if he was on a team that, that had a, a good quarterback that could really show off his skill set. More people would have taken notice. So I, I, it was a, it was a really good value pick for for Seattle to get him. Um, I just here's my my take on him is I think he has the skill and the talent to push Jermaine Curse uh, yes. really hard. Uh, Curse, which is exactly to, what we need. Curse isn't going anywhere this year just because of the the salary cap and the nature of his contract and the guaranteed money and, and dead, dead money and that kind of stuff on there. But, um, he has a chance to, or, uh, has a chance to make curse expendable a year from now. Um, and they need someone to push 
curse in that role because let's face it curse is coming off a really really poor season and they need if curse isn't going to step up and and you know improve and and be that guy they need someone else who can be and i think there's a there's a there's a reason why curse is always fighting for a ball in 50 50 ball situations it's because he can't get any separation exactly you know and and we need a guy that can not only has curse's size but can get that separation. And, and mm-hmm. I think uh, Darbo is going to be that guy. Yeah, the Seahawks haven't had a guy with size who can get separation since Sidney Rice. I mean, they just haven't. Yes, You've got, yes exactly. Um, you know, uh, all the guys that they have that, that they have that have been good receivers, that uh, they're all little. You know, you've got uh, Richardson and uh, Lockett, Baldwin, even uh, Golden Tate. They're all little guys. They haven't had a bigger guy with with size that can get separation. Sidney Rice. It's been that long. They need well, to and there's been that... times. There's been times, Keith, where uh, when other teams have big physical corners like we do, our smaller guys get swallowed up in that. You mm-hmm. know, and and you do see Russell Wilson have to uh, pull, pull out of the pocket quite often, not because of the pass rest necessarily sometimes, but because he needs to buy himself another two or three seconds for his guys to get open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you so I mean, to, it's all about matchups in the NFL. It's not just about player X is better than player Y. It's, you know, there's different skill sets, different ways to win, and so it's, it becomes about matchups. And as a team, you got to have... Um, you got to have some positional diversity and different skill sets within a position group, especially at wide receiver. So that way you can dictate some matchups. You can, you know, if you've got a team that matches up really well against all your receivers, just because of type, you're going to struggle. And so you need to have someone who can come in and offer something different and, you know, give you another, another way to win um, those matchups. And so that's what the Seahawks have been missing. And I think that's what they got this year. So before we move on to talking about uh, the offensive line a little bit more, is there any other players that um, that you saw drafted that you want to talk about a little bit? Um, there was one, but I'm it's an offensive lineman, so we'll just talk about it in the next section because the other guy that they got, his name was um, a senior and uh, an offensive tackle, which was absolutely one of the last players i expected the seahawks to draft this year yeah and well and i've seen from you know speaking of you know twitter and so forth i to me the consensus is this was just a complete throwaway pick are we is that wrong on this guy uh, honestly this is the ultimate tom cable pick um he's big He's got some strength to him, but oh my God, is he slow and unathletic. And it's just the Tom Cable offensive tackle all over again. And uh, he might be one of the most unathletic players the Seahawks have drafted under uh, Schneider and Carroll. How about Uh, Terry Poole? See, Terry Poole was right around, um, well, he was, I think if I remember right, he was in the 30th percentile. So he was not a good athlete, but he wasn't like terrible. He was like, you know, within um, within one sigma of uh, average, whereas uh, senior is, if I remember right, he was he's like the 18th percentile. I mean, it was Reese Adiambo is the only other guy that's down in that range, if I remember right. But Adiambo was coming off uh, a pretty significant injury and basically wasn't 
healed and wasn't in shape when they did his testing. So he did, that doesn't really count for him. But um, So Justin yeah, Sr. Just, is a guy that was probably going to be a practice squad guy. Yeah. Um, and, and, so, and the, reason, and the reason for that, you got to look at, at who we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our nine or ten guys at the most that we're going to carry on the team. And his name just isn't on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he makes the team if, it, if in order for him to make the team, you got to think that the Seahawks either basically have decided that the, the Fant project is over and they're going to give up on that, or they are going to not keep a guy like Luke Jokel, um, even though he's got $7 million guaranteed. So oh, you God, really don't Keith, ex- yeah, expect no. them to do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, find find another another offensive tackle that's that's not going to make the team you know does adiambo blow out a knee in training camp okay well then maybe there's there's a spot for him but at that point i'm looking at i look at skill set and i go is he going to beat out one of the undrafted free agents i don't know um like like ruse yeah and and so you've got a you've got you you've got a guy that they they picked him and i'm I really had struggled to figure out why they did because he doesn't add anything um, to the depth in my opinion. And he's just really not a player that I'm excited to see um, just because I don't think he fits what the team needs. Why do you think they spent that sixth round pick on uh, senior then? Uh, My guess is that uh, if you look at, uh, Posick, um, which is, you know, the big name offensive lineman, Cable didn't scout him. <laughs> I knew you were going to get to this. I do. Um, <laughs> go, go, back, go back a year ago, the Seahawks picked three offensive linemen in the draft and Cable worked them out one-on-one, all three of them. He right. did not scout Posick. He wasn't there for the pro day. He wasn't, he, he never worked him out one-on-one. Team kept um, him away. Yep. <laughs> And uh, I felt that they gave him a pick yes. and said, who do you want? Let's, you know, basically, they, they threw Cable you know, a bone and said, who's a guy? And, and Justin Sr. Was, was the name he threw out, and they, they went and got him for him. Um, I think it was a let's, let's, let's keep our coach happy kind of pick. Um, honestly, I think they do better when they keep certain coaches away from the scouting department and Tom Cable. Well, at least you can, at least you can say he's not a defensive tackle convert. I mean, he does have some skill there. He, he you know, Very he did true. start, uh, didn't he start like 30 games in a row or something like that? I mean, he's, yeah, he did. He, so, you know, maybe there is something there. We don't know. I mean, we're just kind of speculating at this mm-hmm. point and, and we'll but see the, what, what turns the, out. But the Seahawks made a, a major effort this year to improve the running game. You've already talked about that. And if you look at Justin Senior, he is huge. He is really strong. He is going to maul people in the running game. As a pass blocker, he's going to be one of the more worthless pass blockers that they've had because just it's just athletically, it's who he is. He just doesn't have feet quick enough to to stop anyone from getting around him. But in the running game, he can move people, and I think that is where that pick came from a little bit. They, they're they putting such an emphasis on the running game this year. Like, let's go get a big mauler that they can throw in there. So let me give you some starting lineup scenarios, and you tell me which one do you think is most likely to emerge. Okay. So let's go left to right, Joe Cole, left tackle. Um, just for 
Chits and Giggles, Posick at left guard, Britt center, Ibushi at right guard, and Effetti right tackle. What do you think about that lineup? I think that is a definite possibility. Um, yeah. I mean, that's who, who's going to re- Who's going to be the left the left tackle if it's not Jokel Fant? Right. Uh, that would surprise me greatly. Um, after that, you know, those are kind of the guys that I would expect to start. The one change I would make on there would be I would put in uh, Glowinski instead of Abushi at right guard. Um, and I yeah, think the team I can does see that. that. I think the team does that with a an eye forward. You got Abushi on a one year deal. You got two years left of um, of Glowinski, and he's cheaper. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's a competition and the team will let the better player win it in training camp. Here's my most likely one that I've thought about is Jokel, Glowinski, Britt, Posick, and Effetti. I think that that's the one that top of mind seems to make okay. most sense without actually so, seeing him on the field. So we switch uh, Glowinski and Posick right and left guard and leave. Right, and left Abushi um, to be at the backup. Yep. I actually like the first one better and putting, uh, you put Posick between Britt and Jokel. Uh, so you've got a couple of veterans with the rookie between them. I think that works well. Right. And the other thing is when you have a Fetty on the far side, who will be his first year as a starting tackle, second year, but yep. first year as a starting tackle, having, uh, Glowinski who spent a year, uh, as a starter, but also worked out. He was he was a right guard primarily as a rookie as far as where he uh, practiced, where he worked out. That was kind of his spot. They moved him to the left last year because that's where they needed him. Um, but to move him back to the right, that's the position he really knows. And so he would provide some stability for a Fetty next to him uh, who's, who will be a first-year starter at tackle. So that's why I like Posick in the left side and Glowinski on the right. But Interesting. It's the same so how about guys, one? So how about another one? So this is this is a scenario where everything you've heard about in the off season regarding Fant comes true. Uh, it sounds like he's just completely trying to make sure he stays at left tackle. He's doing everything he can. He's working hard. He's 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 in the system. So I've got Fant at left tackle. Then I move Jokel to left guard. So he's next to Fant. Um, probably the second best scenario for Fant this year is to start next to Jokel as opposed to maybe, I mean, for him, it's the first priority, right? But for the team, um, to have Fant next to Jokel makes a lot of sense. And then Brett Posick at right guard and then a Fetty. Yeah. Um, that is, that's interesting because in order for that to happen, Fant's got to make this, just this massive jump in his play. Um, that would be such a an ideal scenario for the Seahawks because if Fant makes that massive jump where he's better than Jokel uh, at left tackle, there's nothing exactly there, there's nothing bad that comes from that and playing him. Um, and then you give him a guy who has all that experience, all that knowledge, all that veteran presence sitting right next to him uh, on the line. Who didn't and, play? And into the who huddle. didn't play bad last year at left guard? Yeah, he didn't play bad. He didn't play great, but it was a new position for him. And he's built more to like, because there are certain players that are built more to play tackle than guards. You you can't just have any tackle move inside and do well. Um, and 
I think Jokel's one of those guys who belongs at at, uh, at tackle, but he's still he he can he can play there. He he is pretty good there. But it's just having all that experience next to Fant in the huddle, next to him on the line. He can teach him how to communicate, how to you know how to line up, what to see. Um, what to look for, you know, on all the different line stunts and that kind of stuff. It'll just be huge for fans' development uh, having a guy like that there. I, so I, I actually, if that happens, that would be such a great development for the Seahawks because you're talking about you get a guy with that kind of skill and talent on the left, and you give him a chance that you just to can't, develop. You just can't keep him off the field because he's improved so much. That would be amazing. I've yep. got one last one okay. where the instead of Fant emerging, it's Posick. And you can't keep Posick off the field. And so, and he ends up taking that right tackle spot. And so you've got Jokel, left tackle, Abushi, Britt, Effetti, and Posick on the right side. Gwinski gets left out. So you're leaving Effetti in at guard, and you're putting Abushi Abushi yeah, on yes. there instead of Gwinski. Um, yes. That's interesting. I don't. I don't see Posick as a tackle. I mean, he's got some of the skills. I think he is one of those guys like uh, Reese Adiambo that can play inside and out. And the only yeah, and the only reason I put him out there, Keith, is because they just couldn't keep him off the field. They needed to give him a spot. Effetti ended up being a better right guard than he was a right tackle, and Posick just beat him out. So they moved Fetty back inside. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I can see that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I like Effetti more as a guard than as a tackle. I don't think the Seahawks agree with me. Um, I, so I'm ex- I honestly expect Effetti to be the right tackle this year. Um, I just think that Posick has an opportunity to beat him out because of his feet. Yes, he does. He's he is more athletic. He's quicker. Um, I I think he does, but I. I if it was, if I'm the guy making the decisions, I leave Effetti at guard. Uh, I'm not the guy making the decisions. Tom Cable is. I think Effetti make is at right tackle, um, and Posick. So in all those, side. in all those scenarios that I painted to you, only one of them had Glowinski keeping his job. Why? Why am I? Why am it? Is it so easy for me to move him around so much or out of the lineup? I have no idea. He was the he was the second best lineman on on the team last year. I know, um, I know, and I'm, here I am. Try, I'm trying to take his spot. See, when I look at the line last year, I thought Britt played as, above average as a center. Glowinski was a league average guard. He wasn't special, but he was okay. And then everyone else was really just abysmal. Um, and. I can deal with league average. And so for me, I'm not ready to move Glowinski. But the truth is, that's what he was. He was a, he was a league average guard. He wasn't special. He wasn't a guy that you got to keep on the field. Um, and, compared... and I guess I gave, the, I, I gave the, the benefit of the doubt to Obushi as mm-hmm. far as emerging and being a, a better guard than um, Glowinski. But it, who knows at this point? I'm just speculating. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that's that got to be the consideration is you've got Glowinski for two years, you've got Abushi for one. And if if the two players are dead even in training camp, I think Glowinski plays. I because do too. Because you, you take the business side into it um, and you go, you know, we're going to play the guy that's got two years left and, you know, let him develop more and let, you know, roll with that rather than the, the one year rental. 
What um, what guarantees did we give Abushi? Do you remember? I ha- don't have that information in front of me. Um, it wasn't too much, though. I, I think it was remember. a million and a half or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. I think that was what they gave him. It was it was like one and a half million in total. But if I remember right, the guarantees were pretty small with him. They weren't like whatever his signing bonus was the only thing guaranteed, and it was like a hundred and fifty grand or something. It wasn't. I just think though that he still remains one of the top nine linemen on the on the line, and they keep him for his his uh, diversity. I th- I agree. Um, I think that he is a guy that has has a. He will. I expect him to stick with the roster this year. Uh, when they drafted Posick, my first thought was that Abushi was a draft hedge, one-year contract, no, not a lot of guaranteed money. Uh, he was a draft hedge, and they got drafted the player that would make Abushi expendable. The more I thought about it, the more I looked at the tape, I, I thought, I'm like, you know, I could see both of the players making the roster. So I, I right now that's where I'm I'm leaning is to, is that both you know, obviously Postic's gonna make it, but I expect Ibushi to be there too. I think heading into OTAs and training camp, uh the two te- the two groups that we've mentioned, defensive back and offensive line, to me, are gonna be group the groups to watch, just from the sheer standpoint of competition. I mean you've got a ton of running backs on the team now, you've got a ton of wide receivers so those those position group uh, competitions are going to be amazing to watch as well. But um, but especially the offensive line, it's just I'm going to be very curious as to how it all shakes out. I'm I'm a little concerned only because I think Seattle ends up going into this season with kind of the same attitude that they had going into last season. I just think they have slightly better players overall than last year. Maybe not even slightly, just better players. Um, but they're still have that tinkering mindset where they're not going to leave the line alone this year. They're going to go and, and they've essentially handed the left tackle spot to, um, um, Jokel, uh, before camp. And it's, it's up to Fant to kind of beat him out of that spot. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, um, it looks like Posick is, is positioning to have a, a starting spot right away. So you've got two guys, that are going to push guys uh, out of the way heading into camp. At least that's the way I'm reading it. So there's a, there's a bunch of, na- of names that changed on the, on the very bottom end of, of that position group in the roster. Um, but if you focus on just the guys that were on the team, you know, the bigger name guys, the, the guys that uh, were there, la- you're trading out soul Webb, and Gilliam for Jokel, Abushi and Posick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way you got to look at it, Keith. Uh, and to me, it, it, because if any of the guys like like Roos or or some of the other guys step up and make the team, um, you know, they're they're inserting themselves into that into the conversation, which which is a good thing. But I look at you trade out you trade out those three from last year with the three this year. That is an upgrade, an upgrade, and an upgrade. Uh, the offensive line got better, and on top of those three upgrades, you've also got young players like Afedi and Glowinski. Um, and fan that will improve with more experience and more training and so the offensive line got better by uh by the way that the construction of it and it, it's going to get better by development of individual players it and we got be better, better and we got better with Eddie Lacy yeah and that will help and 
you know, getting the other running backs healthy and exactly, exactly. And getting, and getting our quarterback healthy again. So I think that you're going to see an improvement. It might, it's not going to be, you know, the Dallas Cowboy offensive line where they were just dominant in every game, but it's going to be better. And at this point we have, it has to be better. It just has to be better. And it's, I think it's going to be. So I think that's definitely a positive sign moving forward. Yay for optimism. Yay. <laughs> so we're going to uh, start to wrap this up today, Keith. Yep. Did you have any mailbag questions for this week? I do, I do not have any. I did not have any mailbag questions for it's this kind week. Of a busy, it's kind of so a busy fo- week. So focused on the draft, I kind of forgot to ask for them, and we didn't get any. So And we answered a lot it. of questions today. Yes, so we we'll, just, we'll just go with that. And so um, as we move forward... Um, we're going to, uh, next week's podcast, we're going to focus on three or four uh, position groups that we didn't talk about today uh, and battles within those groups in camp that we're going to keep an eye on. We're also going to uh, dive into some undrafted free agents, um, priority free agents that the team brought on, see if there's any uh, nuggets out of those names that we can look forward to and watch as camp uh, moves forward. And... Um, and what undrafted free agents have kind of done for the Seahawks over the years, and if we can expect any any to emerge coming out of training camp uh, to land with the team. So, do you want to close this out? Um, How do you find us and all that good stuff? Oh, okay. Uh, so, you want to find us? The the show's Twitter account is at Hawks Playbook. You can find me at Myers NFL. You can find Bill at uh, NWC Hawk. Um, all on Twitter. You can find the uh, podcast on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast uh, player is. And you can also find us at 12thmanrising.com. So you can find us there. And that Keith, is you, the best place to find us. You are hired. That yeah, was I, an excellent close. I did something right. Woo! <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Hey, looking forward to next week's show. Thanks again for t- uh, today's show. Uh, a lot of good discussion. And, um, yeah, so let's continue the conversation next week. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take, take care. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thmanrising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. <laughs>